1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. If you want to tell people the big news...
3: It's Wednesday, July 1st, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I saw it again today. One of these stories about how the military's greatest threats are cyber threats.
1: Welcome to DEFCON 3. I'm KT McFarlane.
3: DEFCON and 3. Isn't that like kind of medium? Should I care? Anyway, the visuals with stories like these, there's always one image that gets me. And it's not just cyber warfare stories. A lot of stories in the news that have this image. Like they'll do a story about how CENTCOM is waging drone warfare from thousands of miles away. And they, they show this, the room where the drones are being controlled via computer, via laptop. Then a couple of days ago, SecDef Carter Ash, Secretary of Defense, was talking about NATO bolstering its cyber defense. And there was a visual, and it showed soldiers, maybe airmen, military personnel, let's say, sitting at their laptops and typing away. And they were wearing camo, camouflage. And the camouflage, it's almost always the green and brown foresty camouflage. Sometimes it's the gray urban camo, but it's never computer camo. And if the future of warfare is computers, they need to make computer camo, like having option key woven into the visual or give me a shirt with a weird qwerty and a seven with an ampersand on top of it on the left sleeve or the reddit home screen should show up somewhere there a hilarious cat video just like a quarter of that picture should be worked in on the side and also a granola bar resting on the touchpad i know it shouldn't but you know that's how computers work I want to design laptop soldier camo. I bet there is a pretty rich government contract involved. On the show today, I spiel about a lecture from one of history's great political scientists, or at least me trying to penetrate that lecture. And Maria Kanakova is by to poke some holes of her own in the theory of acupuncture. She offers a piercing analysis. Is giving up acupuncture a needless pursuit? <laughs> oh. Ha! Also, are bad puns deadly? And if so, have you gotten your affairs in order? No, no more puns. But before we poke you with needles, we will roast you. What is this? The seventh level of hell? No. It's a comedy Central special as Jeff Ross goes inside a jail to do some all right, one more, some needling of his own.
1: You are adorable. What's your name? <laughs> Michael. Michael. Where are you from? Michael? Uh, call station? College station? Oh, are you a college student? No. No?
3: (laughs) I got locked up up before I can go to college.
1: You got locked up before you could go to college? Oh yeah, that's what happened, sure. (laughs) Like you were going to fucking Harvard and all of a sudden... You look like you're one of those rare people who looks like a child and a child molester at the same time. (laughs) A sweet guy, like you wouldn't hurt anybody. You're not a violent guy. I don't know about that. Oh,
3: shit, next. <laughs> Jeff Ross is the Roastmaster General, which raises a lot of questions. Where is the Roastmaster General in line to secede the presidency? And if there's more than one Roastmaster General, is it Roastmaster's General? Uh, and then there's the other question How far can a Roastmaster General go in roasting murderers? The answer is pretty far. <laughs>
1: Dude, my boots, my boots are not fancy, dude. I'm sorry you're so
3: dressed up. You're making fun of my clothes. Your shit don't even fit. That was a clip from Jeff Ross, Roasts Criminals, live from the Brazos County Jail. He's not live from the jail now. He's here with us. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm well. So in the special, you say that you've asked, you asked all these wardens and one said yes, because he could use it for his prisoners, his inmates as a reward. But where did you get the idea in the first place? Well, that's a good question. I wanted to do something about crime. I wanted to do something
2: purposeful with my stand up, not just a regular comedy club show. And I thought, I needed to personify the subject. And the only way to really personify crime in America
3: is to find some criminals. You know, a lot of comedians, it strikes me that a lot of comedians are political, but the way they're political is it's, it's in their act. You know, a lot of their jokes about comedy. You seem to have your jokes just be whatever the funniest thing is and usually, you know, what you're known for, the roast humor. <laughs> but your forum is kind of political. You think about places like this. You go entertain the troops. You were at Guantanamo, right? Places like that.
2: Well, you know, the cool thing about roasting is it's special material for a certain event. And sometimes that event is just Justin Bieber's 21st birthday. And sometimes it could be, you know, a U.S.O. show in uh, Al-Assad, Iraq. So I will always I like the challenge of writing new material that's just pointed towards that thing.
3: What were the ground rules going in that the prison gave you? And what strategically did you think would be wise to avoid? (laughs) Uh, The jail asked me not to do jokes about
2: prison rape. And I understood that, and I didn't. The closest I came was a couple of jokes maybe on myself, Right. And I actually think they did me a favor because it helped me elevate the sort of level of the type of humor rather than do the obvious, you know, don't drop the soap jokes. I got to talk about, Minimum sentencing and solitary and the death penalty and sort of raise the conversation a little bit.
1: Incarceration in America is a 75 billion dollar industry. That's what they say. Crime doesn't pay. It pays. It just doesn't pay you, motherfuckers. (laughs) Right now, in some states, there's guys locked up for stuff that's now become legal in that same state. How crazy would that make somebody? Right now there's people in prison in the state of Florida for shooting a black teenager. That's practically a misdemeanor in Florida right now.
3: When you roast a celebrity, it's game on. You know, you Hefner or David Hasselhoff. You do a version of this when you play clubs. I mean, why hold back? Some some guy from Texarkana wants you to make fun of him and he has a big gut. You're going there. But with prisoners, is it like, let's say you're an NFL middle linebacker and your high school invites you back to scrimmage. I mean, do you kind of just hold back a little, give them as much as they can take rather than as much as you know you could give? I don't know, man. I was so in the
2: moment that you can actually hear me stuttering and sh- and you can see me shaking at different times with fear. But yet I let the jokes out of my head. They came out of
3: my mouth. I didn't really hold back. You play, played one show for the men and one show for the women?
2: Actually, I did one show for the women, an impromptu
3: show, the night before.
2: And then the next day I did two shows for the men.
3: Have you ever done a gender segregated show before? That's a great question. I've been on The View about a dozen
2: times. I think that's the closest I ever came, except for a few camera guys and a couple husbands who probably got caught cheating. There aren't many men in the audience at The View, and that was a good warm-up. But no, I've never done a show for all women. and i would never done a show in a jail before.
1: This is so much fun. It means so much that you ladies would have a sense of humor about your situation. Oh, wait, what is this right here? You got a baby in there? Really? Can you come here for a second? Can I see it? Can I? What's your name? My name's Autumn. 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 Oh wow. Why are you here? Did you rob a
2: sperm bank? <laughs> and I also love the challenge of trying something new, and I love the challenge of bringing laughs, where it's a depressing environment where there rarely are laughs.
3: Now, the great compliment I want to give to you is the jokes are there, and we expect that from you, and we know you're going to deliver. The tone of the overall special, and this is in the editing, this is also in the content that you record there, but it's how you strategize it. It was sort of surprising. You were making a point. This was a little like a documentary that happened to have a lot of jokes as opposed to a roast that made one or two points. And so just tell me about that decision. I went into this project...
2: A sort of cavalier saying, I just wanna roast criminals, it'll be funny, it'll be my most dangerous roast, it'll be new territory comedically. But once I got there, I started to understand the situation of incarceration in America. We say we're a free country, but we lock up more people than anywhere else in the world. And I started to understand that these people oh, I I think compassion started to overtake me in that I met a couple of real dirtbags, but I also met some people who deserve a second chance. And certain uh, of their, some of their stories broke my heart, and especially in the women's show, and the way they miss their kids, and the way they're in there for minor drug offenses, or one woman claimed she was stole baby food and was locked up, and I didn't want to know their crimes ahead of time. I wanted to treat everybody um, at face value and just see what that was like. And I definitely had some sympathy. I feel like a significant amount of these people deserve a second chance.
3: My absolute favorite moment was when you were talking to the Nazi. He had the swastikas, and what did he have, like 99 <laughs> marks for every year in jail? And then you yeah. said, you should have $6 million for everyone who died in the Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. He seemed a you know, little... The, I don't know the, if the he... ultimate too-soon joke, right? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if he got the nuance. He seemed... He seemed like he needed to go along with the laughter because everyone else thought it was funny, but he seemed like a bad dude. I'm not sure if
2: he didn't like the joke or he didn't get the joke. Right. I remember Mel Brooks uh, once saying in an interview that uh, revenge through ridicule. You know, we can't undo what the Nazis did, but we can certainly mock them as a survivor. And I thought that was important to show that, you know, these guys are young and they're dumb and they're Wearing swastikas, they can't even begin to understand how dumb that is. Uh, so yeah, I try to give them a little bit of—I uh, don't know if tough love's the right word—but just sort of shake them a little bit and make them maybe question some of the choices that they've made. The whole thing for me is still being processed in my brain. It was an overwhelming experience, Mike. You know, you can probably hear in my voice that it's. It's. I'm still coming to terms exactly uh, what I pulled off and what I've learned.
3: Yeah. Well, it was both entertaining and the word I'll use is touching. Jeff Ross roasts criminals live from the Brazos County Jail. It's available in iTunes on the uh, Comedy Central site. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks, Mike. Good talking to you, buddy. See you around. Acupuncture, the ancient Chinese art of acupuncture. It is good for the soul. It is good for the body. It increases healing, restorative health, and possibly lip sync. The Chinese make a lot of claims, and people who like the Chinese art of acupuncture make even more claims. But we are here to possibly puncture those claims, or at least question the accuracy of acupuncture. I'm joined by Maria Konnikova. She is my guest, my frequent companion, as we ask is that bullshit? Hello, Maria.
0: Hey, Mike. You know, I think with
3: these segments, what we're really doing is we kind of put all these claims to an acupuncture-type test. Maybe via the puncturing, they actually get stronger, some of these claims. I don't know. Maybe it's just a bad metaphor. But tell me, what what are the claims of acupuncture? Do they say this could do everything, like cure cancer?
0: They don't say it can cure cancer. I have to give them that. The acupuncturists who are legitimate and Mm -hmm. who really try to be objective about their profession. I'm sure there are acupuncturists who say they can cure cancer because honestly, let's face it, there's basically every single profession that says we can cure cancer. But the ones who aren't the charlatan acupuncturists who've studied and who really believe in what they do, uh, most of them don't say they can cure it. They say they can cure the nausea Mm -hmm. and the side effects Mm -hmm. and that they can manage the symptoms. Um, But a lot of what it is is saying, okay, you guys your body has energy and different types of energy. They call it Qi. And we're going to puncture your body in certain ways to release the Qi and to channel it in certain directions. At least that's the Eastern Chinese way of explaining it. Okay. There's also a very Western medicine way of explaining it, which has nothing to do with qi.
3: Well, it could be one of these things where, okay, there's no such thing as qi, but they were on to something. I'm sure right. a lot of these right. uh, herbal cures. All right, whatever they said, the great goddess in the sky breathed life onto this leaf. No, but it has this property that we recognize. So to test it, to, did anyone even bother looking for qi?
0: No. Well, <laughs> the problem is, and I think this is why so many people are skeptical of acupuncture, yeah. We have no idea how or why it works. Mm -hmm. I mean, no one knows what the biological reasons why this is actually, why this might even be effective are. And so people are really, really skeptical when they come to it from Western medicine and they say, okay, this is all well and good and we're happy to try it, but what in the world is it doing? I mean, it's not like a drug yeah. where you can say, okay, this is a mechanism of action and this is what's happening. It's not like surgery, obviously, where you know exactly what's going on. We really don't know how this affects the body.
3: Well, where are they punk? I've never had it done mm-hmm. to me. What, what are they? I know I've seen the needles, and I know mm-hmm. they stick them somewhere in your back. They I do. I they could stick them everywhere. Like, or in the Like, how front. far in? Do they draw blood? Yeah. Are they yeah. aiming for
0: organs? Yeah, so they... i pretty
3: <laughs> acu-ignorant. It's <laughs> some so, ignorant So it depends. Puncture.
0: It depends on your ailment. The real acupuncturist, you'll come in, mm-hmm. and you'll tell the acupuncturist why you're there, what ails you. For instance, I have migraines. And people have said acupuncture is good for migraines. Mm-hmm. So I come into an acupuncturist's office. I come in and I say, listen, I have migraines. I need you to help with that. And the acupuncturist will ask me all sorts of questions about you know, what my you know, sleep is like, what my diet's like, what all these things are like. Um, and then we'll choose the points to put the needles to alleviate that very specific thing. If I came in with back pain, the needles would go in a very different place. They're not deep. The needles are not deep. So no, it normally does not draw blood. Does it hurt? It does. It hurts as much as a needle. It actually does hurt a little bit. And recently, people have actually started testing this to see, okay, so many people say acupuncture works and so many people say acupuncture helps them. What's actually going on? And so the model for the well-controlled trial, which hasn't existed for very long, is you have three different groups. You have people who get real acupuncture, People who get sham acupuncture, so you actually think you're getting the needles, you see the needles, and the needles are touched to your skin, mm-hmm. but the needles don't actually go in. And people can't tell the difference, so they they test this, and figured they figured out that you can do sham acupuncture in a way that people think they're getting real acupuncture, and then no acupuncture. So real sham and no. And then you compare them. I'm
3: going to guess. Can I guess? Please. That there was a slight increase in both the real and the sham versus no
0: acupuncture, but there's no difference between the real and the sham. That's my guess. So your guess is right when it comes to certain things. Okay. When it comes to chronic pain and actually the nausea that comes with cancer, when it comes to things like that, it ends up that there is a difference between real and sham. Only when it comes to pain. Way to go acupuncture. Yeah. So Andrew Wickers, who's at Memorial Sloan Kettering here in New York, He did a meta-analysis of studies for over a decade, and there were, I think, around 15,000 patients in total. And these were all studies that met the criteria that you and I have talked about. And he found that you get a 30% reduction in pain with no treatment, a 42% reduction with a sham treatment, and a 50% reduction with the real acupuncture, which is statistically significant. Mm -hmm. But this was only when it comes to chronic pain. Yeah. So a lot of people go to acupuncture for all sorts of things. And really, chronic pain and nausea are the only things that's been validated for. And let me add an asterisk in adults.
3: So the benefit from no acupuncture to sham is bigger than the increase from sham to real.
0: Yes, but the people who don't know what they're doing actually stick you with needles. So yeah. they might end up hurting oh, yeah. you. Never really so the thought sham that. ones doesn't actually stick you with the needle. Right. It's basically the same as no, except you have the placebo effect. Right. And let us I think we've said this before, but the placebo effect should not be discounted. Right, It's very powerful. And if that helps you and that if, if that gives you a reduction, then that's great.
3: Of all our discussions, I like ones like this because people accuse me of, you know, being so beholden to double-blind studies and there are things that science isn't even up on. And this is an example of, yeah, science can't really explain it, but you can still use the rigor of the scientific exactly. method even though they can explain it. And it's not being closed-minded and it's not being pro-Western, anti-East. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It's just using rigorous methods to say there's some effect, and we can humbly say we don't know why. But still, there really is some effect, as opposed to so many of these other things we talk about where, I'm telling you, there's no effect.
0: Exactly. And you can use a scientific study. You can do exactly what you said. It's just like old herbal treatments. Sometimes, you know, you think it's bullshit, and then they realize that some tree's bark is aspirin. And so they realize that they used to use this for pain relief, and people thought it was A load of crap because, you know, tree bark doesn't do that. And yet it's the exact same thing as aspirin. It's the same active ingredient. And so, yes, they knew that it was working. They didn't know why. They didn't have Western medicine. So we're at that point, I think, with acupuncture where for some things we know it works, for others we don't know, but we have no idea why.
3: All right. And so you said it, but let's say it again, officially for the time capsule, acupuncture. Is that bullshit?
0: No, it's not bullshit.
3: There you go. Maria Konnikova, she is the author of Mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes. Also the author of the forthcoming book, The Confidence Game. Thank you, Maria.
0: Thank you so much, Mike.
3: So I got to tweet, I'm really into political science. I majored in political science and I follow a guy named Urban Demographics. He's a uh, political scientist. And he tweeted out that here it is, a recording of a 1984 lecture at Harvard by John Rawls. It's John Rawls talking about modern political philosophy. Now, if you don't know who John Rawls is, just the most important political scientist, a brilliant guy. And yeah, I knew it would be. I mean, it was advertised as 54 minutes, but that's okay. I gave it a shot. I, I dove in. A few seconds in, he asks this question.
1: Can you hear me? No.
3: And then a few seconds after that, he comes back with, Can you hear me now? Well, he's really wondering. You can't hear me now. And again. Can you hear me now? Oh my. I'm
1: sorry for this mechanical failure.
3: So here I am, two minutes eighteen seconds into it, and he's wanting to know anybody who knows about operating mic? John Rawls is really, really apologetic. I'm sorry about this confusion. I don't But still John Rawls cannot be sure. that anyone can hear him. Can you hear me now? He is pressing all the knobs. Pressing all the knobs. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm three minutes in. All he's doing is talking about how no one can hear him. By
1: Monday, I hope to know how it works.
3: The greatest political thinker of the 20th century, possibly the greatest American political scientist ever. His 1971 work, A Theory of Justice, is said to be, quote, the most important work in moral philosophy since the end of World War II. There's not enough you can say about John Rawls. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad things you could say about the Harvard University A.V. Department. And John Rawls was all but saying them all back there in 1984. I stuck with this lecture for 11 minutes. At 11.30, he calls for questions. Does anyone have anything they'd like to ask at this point? And guess what? No one answers his call. I have a theory why. Actually, he asks again.
1: Well, are you sure? I know this is a large room, but there might be.
3: And somehow, maybe someone in the front row Raises his hand apparently, and we get a question. Yes. Is it going to be, Professor? Can you explain your theory of justice, Professor Rawls? Can you delineate the difference between a pluralistic and a patriotic theory of politics? No. The question is, what are your office hours? Um, let's say beginning about three thirty. Presumably, because in a smallish office, John Rawls can actually be heard. This was disappointing and I bailed after that. I never got to the actual lecture, if there was, if it wasn't just a series of mic checks. But it gave me a great idea for a series. Amazing works of scholarship, great works of art, all presented with non-functioning microphones. Here, Igor Stravinsky's debut performance of the Rites of Spring, preserved on tape, but that tape is taped over with Dark Side of the Moon. Here, the only known conversation between Gandhi and Winston Churchill but the pause button was on the recorder the whole time. See footage of the moment Bill Gates invents a computer. The lens cap is on. Oh... It's the great minds, unmiked, unguarded, unfiltered, and entirely unperceivable. You won't believe your eyes. You'll doubt your ears. And you'll wonder if you're inside some sort of social experiment. Which reminds me, social experiment. See Pavlov get his dogs to salivate. Preserved on film that has degraded to a fine wet dust. Listen, I, I'm sorry. I just can't tease you with that. I can't tease you with all this Rawls. Let's go out with some songs of Rawls. I bet you thought it was going to play Lou Rawls. No, actually, there was a musical made about John Rawls' theory of social justice. It turns out the microphones worked, the cameras rolled and everything, and it is available for purchase for 9 dollars But for $12.99, you get the version that won't crash your computer.
0: I need a theory. The theory of justice. Something ambitious for everyone's
3: sake A genuine intellectual earthquake I'll think of a theory and that's it for today's show. Be sure to catch the upcoming comedy special telecasts Dog Pound, wherein GIST producer Andrea Salenzi mocks Cocker Spaniels. Joel Meyer, managing producer, roasts deciduous plants in Fernburn 15. And from his home in Los Angeles, and through the benefits of no extradition treaties, executive producer Andy Bowers engages in ribald takedowns of Iranian mullahs in his latest special, From a Distance. We're on iTunes. Go to iTunes and leave us a review. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash slategist. And there, I'm going to ask you to help me with my material because I'm working on the upcoming special pod roast wherein the gist roasts other podcasts. Hey, 99% invisible. Yeah, more like 99% unhearable. Speak up, Sonny. Yeah, dollar bills are green. It's not a freaking secret. (laughs) Startup. Oh, yeah. Bloomberg. If you go on any longer about your self doubts, it's more like shut down. You know what I'm saying, buddy? I mean, if you're going to whine all the time, at least do it quieter. Am I right, Roman? Yeah, you hear me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jad's over there. He's going, ha, 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 ha. That's how they laugh at Radio Lab. Yeah. Too beautiful to live. You know what? Whatever adjective you use to justify euthanasia for this dog, I am all for it. <laughs> Hey, I notice no Night Vale fans are here. What is there, a Justin Bieber concert in town? hi